this, uh, to me, always uh, reminds me of the kind-heartedness, the generosity, the goodness that is a part of our humanity. Uh, we need to do things like this uh, for practical reasons, of course, but also for our own uh, spiritual development. We need to, to reaffirm that goodness, the basic goodness, purity, generosity, kindness of our own state of being a human being. Because uh, so much of the news we hear and the, 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 through the mass media, kind of information that we that people tend to to uh, talk about through the gossip and so forth, oftentimes is reiterating uh, and reminding us of the kind of meanness and uh, corruption, the, the evil side, the dark side of humanity. For some reason, this news is, is about what's wrong, about what's going off, what, uh, how bad people are. And yet we all know that in our own daily lives, most of our daily lives are an attempt always to rise up towards, uh, say, being good or kind or generous. Uh, we also have the other tendencies to, to get angry or exasperated or just all kinds of frustrations, fears, uh, desires that that are common to our human state, but there's also this uh, strong aspiration of human beings toward the good, the true, and the beautiful. And ceremonies like this, of course, uh, are ways of, of actually manifesting that in the, in a traditional way. The Katina, the Katina ceremony uh, at the end of the Vasa season was uh, instigated by the Lord Buddha just because the lay people at that time, 2,536 years ago in India, because they didn't want to see the bhikkhus, uh, uh, you know, they felt so much respect, so much interest in regard to the, to the bhikkhus that they, they wanted to provide them with some good cloth, quality cloth. Otherwise, the bhikkhus have to scrounge for rags in the charnel grounds and take old cloth off corpses and bits of old uh, stuff that people thrown out to make their robes, Bangakula robes. And the, the lay people, they didn't like to see that. They didn't want the bhikkhus to have to, to do that. So they would even weave the, in those days it, it involved even uh, spinning the, the thread and weaving the cloth. And this, this helps us to remember that the establishment of the, of the monastic sangha, the bhikkhu and bhikkhunis in ancient India, was around the, the wisdom and the goodness of, of humanity. And that's, uh, that's something to keep remembering in your life, that, that our true nature, that which is common to all of us, in which we must take refuge in, is in that which is pure, and good, and wise, generous, kind. In uh, living in a monastic community, I think we find a lot of, reveals itself in, in just the, the, our own particular characters and personalities or cultural or ethnic uh, conditioning. Because living together closely in, in uh, 
monastic community with with bhikkhus, with the siddhadharas, with anagarikas, with the lay people that come to stay for periods of time. We all have to learn how to live with each other. Uh, we, learning to live with each other in a, in a moral, ethical way, in a thoughtful, kind way, a way of, of sharing, of looking out for each other, looking after each other. And so this also brings to our attention that, that uh, our true nature, which is the love of the good, the true and the beautiful. Because living in community brings up also the negative side. We get fed up, <coughs> angry, jealous, uh, offended, uh, envious, and uh, feeling desires of lust and greed and things like this. These, these passions do come into our minds. But our intention, our whole aim and aspiration is not to follow those kind of movements, those kind of uh, arising, to get beyond them, to acknowledge them, to see them in the terms of Dhamma as the rising and ceasing conditions that come and go, but not to make that our refuge, not to get caught in our own selfish uh, obsessions or our own uh, uh, self-importance or insincerity or or our attachment to our own views for our own uh, ends. Now to be able to do that, to be able to, to know the difference and to be able to to uh, have the mindfulness uh, to see and to know how to, what to do, how to act, we have uh, the, the Buddha established the Vinaya discipline which is a, a, a standard for action and speech, for daily conduct. It's how we relate to each other uh, in the world of one-to-one, of monks to each other, monks to the, uh, to the nuns, the nuns to the, to the monks, the, the senior to the junior, the novices to the, to the fully ordained, and the lay community to the monastic sangha. These are relationships that we reflect upon uh, and to and and these are traditional forms that have come through time. They're, they're within a traditional uh, lineage so they're not like inventions of, of just some person in, in the present age but they are they have some kind of uh, empowerment through uh, the, their ability to survive in time, up to the present time. Like in the Theravada school, we, we, we oftentimes reflect on the fact that, that the lineage traces itself back to the Gautama the Buddha, the Shakyamuni Buddha of 2,536 years ago. Uh, and we're not trying to just hold on to this as some kind of uh, doctrine that we believe in, or we we uh, we're attached to, but it does help us to remember that that this this wisdom is something. It's like a thread that goes through. It's beyond time. It 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 has to use maybe conditions like uh, a, an established sangha of monks and nuns to carry the lineage. But the actual wisdom, the truth of the Buddhist teaching, is a universal truth, and and ultimately is 
uh, takes us to the realization of timelessness or the deathless reality. This time that we're living in is, uh, I think, one that frightens, is very frightening, and, uh, and if not particularly frightening for you, at least it's, it's very, makes us feel very uncertain and insecure, because the, the old Cold War deadlock seemed to offer some stability, like two bulls, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, fighting with each other, they, 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 they have a kind of stability through, through that uh, locked horns. And then when that falls apart, when one falls with exhaustion, then the other one doesn't quite know what to do. Uh, it, it falls over itself. It, it loses that, because its whole emphasis, its whole uh, uh, occupation for the past uh, 80 years maybe, has been to resist uh, the other one. And now we're at a time where, where there isn't that resistance and uh, the, the enemy has kind of disappeared in the, in the form, the kind of monstrous monolithic form that it seemed to be in when we called it uh, the Soviet Union or, or Marxism or communism. And so the, the world in general is now uh, kind of floundering, wondering what to do. The idea of a free market economy, of capitalism, of uh, the, these, uh, the idea of democracy seems to be the, the word of the day to try to, to uh, develop democratic systems because these are ideals that we hold. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could live uh, on this planet together in democratic societies that were well-constructed, well-defined, with free market economies, uh, and that seem to, and uh, we can imagine how they should be, how it would be like if, if it was all the way it should be. Where everybody had a say, everybody was listened to, everybody was of equal importance. These are this is our ability to, to think of many of the best possibilities, the ideal. Uh, and these ideals are certainly uh, some things that we should respect and, and even uh, reflect upon and acknowledge. But then life isn't an ideal, is it? Life is this reality of where everything is basically uncertain that uh, this uncertainty, insecurity, is what the Buddha was pointing to in his teachings. He, at the time in ancient India, uh, life was still insecure, uh, uncertain, as it always has been. That we, have, we do have moments where we, we think everything is kind of going along all right, and everything will be okay, and we have a stable government, and, and uh, it, it's... Uh, you know, there's nothing really to worry about. But underneath that, that facade of security and stability, there still lies this ongoing uncertainty. The very planet we live on, the, uh, the natural the catastrophes, the, the, the uh, planetary <laughs> problems, all of these 
we can't really know about in the state we're in, like the the white rabbit that Sister Sundar was talking about. We're, we we mistake things. When mangoes fall on the ground, we think we think it's the, the world falling apart. When when something goes wrong, some somebody leaves, somebody dies, something happens that that shocks us or surprises us. We we can easily overreact in thinking that everything is going off, that this is the end of the world, that our life has been ruined, that there's no more hope. Now the Buddha wanted us to contemplate all this. No, the Buddha's teachings, the reason why I, these are so valuable uh, and so helpful, especially at a time like this, is because they do awaken us to the way things are. What the Buddha was saying is awaken to that state of observing, rather than trying to fix everything and make everything what you want, uh, the way we can survive and bear with and endure and learn and develop and realize the truth is not by trying to manipulate and control this conditioned realm or to run away or hide or, or uh, you know, establish some special kind of fortress that we can uh, think that we can, uh, that will protect us from the rest of the world, is to be able to open to this uncertainty in security and to face it head on, willingly, kind of embracing it and, and willing to, to experience that sense of insecurity and uncertainty, to acknowledge it, to to fully appreciate it. Because the strange thing is that that what we're frightened of, once we face it, once we understand it, once we accept it for what it is, we're no longer frightened. The fear is always uh, the deluded state of mind. The world is falling apart kind of mind that is caught in, a, in an obsession about things going wrong about the world ending, about uh, life being dangerous, about failing, about uh, losing our health, about losing our loved ones, about the economy, the British pound, the American dollar, the Tory party, uh, the European common market, all of this. <laughs> These are all unknown things and, and uh, we can we can see them always in, in shades of, of uh, pink or gray or or in a positive or negative way. But there, none of these none of these institutions, none of these uh, conventions that we have, can really provide the stability that we think we would would want in this human state. So we always feel disappointed, even whatever government we have, it's never good enough. Uh, we, we, we think maybe we'll find somebody, uh, a mate, get married to somebody who will be able to give me this stability, this sense of being loved and wanted and, and, uh, having, and sharing our lives together and building a stable relationship. People talk like this a lot uh, in the New Age uh, circles. Uh, in, here in Britain or in America, uh, about, they talk a lot about relationships 
so the idea of a relationship will give me maybe what I need and what I want, a sense of stability and, and safety. But we also know that that is possible, that relationships are uncertain in themselves, and that uh, to demand a state a stability from somebody else is a very conceited and selfish position to take on life, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, it's like I want you to be stable for me. I want you to, 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 uh, to get enlightened so I'll feel safe. I want you to do all the work. And so that when we, when we go around looking for uh, ideal mates or stable relationships, uh, without really establishing any real knowledge of our, of our own state of mind, uh, really getting to know how things really are as a human individual, then we're inevitably going to be disappointed. Uh, even with the best intentioned people uh, that are quite stable and mature, still they can't expect each other to, to, to provide that kind of in, eternal stability and safety that one might secretly want. So the, the stability, say, of a Buddhist doesn't lie in seeking uh, in, in, in anything external, but in a right attitude, a right understanding of Dhamma. Seeing things as they really are. It's, it's the ability to open the mind, the heart, and watch and listen to the flow of your life. To me now, it's more like listening. It's uh, listen, just the ability to listen to things, to listen to one's own mind, or to listen to the wind blowing, or the, the way, just to be able to have that sense of, of just attentiveness, both to one's own kind of personal feelings and emotions, and to the external sounds, the sounds of the world and the universe. Listening to someone else, trying to to open up to them. I mean, not just kind of uh, hearing them in a, in a perfunctory way, but really trying to be with them and, and to listen in a, in a receptive way rather than in a reactive way. And this, of course, is, takes a, a determination. And we have to remember, we have to remind ourselves that this is a good thing to do. This is a, a wise... Uh, thing that, that, that we can uh, use in, in whatever situation we're in, whether it's with our families, with the uh, place that we work, uh, whether we're alone or with others, that this is possible. We can't, no matter what's going on, no matter how good or bad or peaceful or, or uh, unpeaceful a situation might be, we can at least listen. And we can at least kind of open to it and and learn how to kind of accept it for what it is. Accept things for what they are. <coughs> now, in, in um, just talking to people with, uh, say, terminal illnesses, people that have or have uh, ailment like chronic pain or or diseases or illnesses that that have keep them say incapacitated. 
or they have maybe AIDS or cancer, terminal illnesses that they have to emotionally learn how to accept. And these are always, uh, I think, very meaningful experiences to me to to uh, to know these these uh, people because they're rather forced, very direct way to to look at something that nobody particularly wants to look at or face up to. Just the, the fact that we're going to die. And even though one side of us knows we're all going to die, that that's the part of it, you know, we live so long and then die, emotionally we may not be accepting of that at all. We may not want to ever really contemplate it. To contemplate death, you have to accept you have to accept the idea of it and begin to kind of open to that, what that really might be. Uh, and because it's, it's beyond our imagination, isn't it? Death is, is, uh, is what non-pluses the mind. The mind just stops when you think of death. And therefore, we, we, we become uh, frightened by it because we, we, we don't really know what happens. We, we tend to just want to dismiss it, ignore it. But in willingness to, say, open and contemplate, reflect upon this, uh, this, this, way, this way of mindfulness, awakenness, attentiveness, is the way to realization of the deathless. Say, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. This was the Buddha, one of the famous phrases from the Dhammapada, Appamado Amatapada. Mindfulness, awareness, awakenness is the way or the path to the deathless. So what this is really saying is that, that the when we begin to contemplate Dhamma, when we begin to open to it, reflect upon it, uh, and understand it through insight, then we realize that ultimate purity of our being, which is deathless, and that there's nothing to fear, nothing to be frightened of. And that this realm that we're in is, is for this awakenedness, it's in this human state. What is the what is the importance of our humanity? Are we just here uh, as other creatures, just to procreate the species? For what reason? What is the purpose of it? Why are we the way we are? Why, you know, like sometimes one, I used to feel envy for the animal kingdom, thinking they don't have to remember all the things I do. They don't have self-consciousness like I do. I'm always feel so self-conscious. I think about myself all the time. I think, do people like me? Or am I acceptable in this society? Or, you know, am I good enough? And I'm sure animals don't think like that. They don't have to think that about themselves in such disturbed and convoluted ways as human beings do. I think, why? What is the... If we've got minds like this, that we turn on ourselves and create endless dukkha, suffering, it must be, either it's a, it's a, it's a demonic joke that God, playing on, that God has played on us, or it has some important message we must learn from. And so, in 
my own experience and practice of meditation over the years, my confidence in the Buddhist teaching, of course, uh, becomes in, uh, very strong because one realizes that, that this mind, this human state, this human consciousness, this ability to contemplate and reflect, to consider, is, is the gift that we have, the miracle of our mind that takes us to that realization of the deathless or ultimate reality. Uh, yesterday I went to, attended a, a uh, seminar in London and the World Goodwill Organization invited me uh, and I spent the day at Regent's uh, College in Regent's Park and they had, uh, I was on a panel of, it was on interfaith, interdependence and, and interfaith in the, for 1993. And so the panel was, uh, they had the Baha'i lady and they had a Sikh, a woman who was a Sikh and a uh, Muslim a professor from some Muslim college. Uh, they had Swami Dayatmananda of the Vedanta Ramakrishna order, myself, and a Jewish uh, layman who was a solicitor, and we six of us, and we sat up on this stage. We we're supposed to talk about the religion in the future for to the year 2000 in 10 minutes each. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I accept these invitations. <laughs> but what did come out of it was that, that um, you know, when, when you're given ten minutes to, to, to talk about the religion for the future, and, and you're speaking from your own particular religious uh, perspective, Generally, what comes out is a kind of broad generalization, and and uh, of course, because uh, on these interfaith meetings, usually there everybody is uh, thinking in terms. They're not trying to promote their own religion. You know, it's not a, uh, it's not the the venue or the or the uh, environment for kind of uh, promoting your religion and in any way other than trying to kind of present it. And the presentations of 10-minute uh, talks were fairly, you know, what they conveyed was that uh, uh, we basically we should respect each other, uh, learn how to live in a moral way, and to definitely practice our own religions uh, so that we are living examples of them. And so that's generally what I picked up from, from that afternoon. But it does... Uh, it also uh, was very nice to to be in a in a place where many people are coming to hear that message because uh, we do in this time we do need to to really think of what can we do for say our own spiritual development for the for our families for the society for the planet Earth. Because this is the this is the challenge of the next century, isn't it? The 21st century. How's how are like these children of 
of ours? How are they going to live in the 21st century with all the existing, seemingly existing problems of pollution and, and burgeoning population? And just the, the, the tendency of human, human, humanity to sink into demonic brutality when we hear the stories of Bosnia or, or in the various African states or in, in uh, other countries where this ongoing kind of terrorism and brutality seems where it's e human, humanity easily seems to sink into uh, a, a brutality that is totally shocking and unbelievable to those of us who live in countries like this where we tend to think it will never happen here. We, we aren't like that. <laughs> we wouldn't do anything like that. <laughs> but yet, we must also remember that when, when there's fear, when fear takes over the mind, then that, that alone, that, that kind of vibration uh, is the very thing that sends us off into doing uh, horrible acts of brutality. When you, I've never been in a situation where where I say, I've really been that frightened. I've never, you know, been cornered or felt that my life was really threatened to the point where I would just totally lose myself in some kind of demonic act of just vengeance or, or brutality. I've never been in a situation where, where that has ever been possible. But we must also remember that a lot of people are in those situations and they can't help it. That it's it's not a matter of, of uh, just uh, putting them down or, or condemning them, but recognizing that, that those kind of causes do exist and that in our human state, if we're not aware of our higher nature and of, our, of the miracle of our own conscious experience, if we have no, no instruction, no confidence in that, then all of us could easily think into that, into demonic brutality. That is possible for all of us. But what brings us out of that, or what would prevent us from acting on such, such kind of energies would be our commitment to the truth, to realize that there's nothing to be frightened of. That it's not worth hanging on to this little bit of life at the expense of the misery and and, and, and the brutalization of others. And that we can always say we, we, that, that no matter what happens uh, around us, our true refuge is in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, which is within us, not, not something that can be destroyed through a tyrannical government or through the, the bloodthirsty actions of, of anyone else. Now when we remember this, then say, then we can influence our families, our society in a way that we, that, that you cannot imagine. When I think of, when we look at the, just the meanness and brutality of humanity, we wonder why uh, the world is as good as it is. If human beings are just selfish, uh, self-centered, aggressive, difficult creatures, full of greed and lust and hatred, if that's all we are, then life would be absolutely horrendous. It would be a living hell. 
But because our true nature isn't that way, and that uh, we've all experienced it in our lives, like in, uh, say, my life in Thailand with Lung Po Cha, he recognized that there was, there was a human being who was pure, ordinary human being. He wasn't an avatar or some, some special creature from above, but he was an ordinary human being who had realized and knew that reality for himself. He'd done it through, through his own practice. And therefore, his effect on the rest of us who came near were affected by him was also that had tremendous power on us. It gave us the confidence and determination to do that ourselves. When we could see that it was possible to do, that somebody could actually do it, it wasn't just nice ideas and, and uh, airy-fairy uh, idealism, but it was a reality, a living reality, then we, we, we have that confidence and that aspiration to, to do that ourselves. So that as we develop in our own spiritual development, in our own, and, and through our own aspiration towards that purity, then of course the, the problems of this planet, the societal problems, economic, political, personal problems, these can all be solved through, through an understanding. Or they can, even if they can't be solved, they can still be accepted. And we're not expecting life to be some easy experience that, uh, that uh, where everything, uh, all problems are solved and everything is, uh, is acceptable. But it means that we are not going to resent, to hate, to, to seek revenge, to blame uh, others or anyone else or anything uh, of, through what happens to us. And we can bear our, our karmic burden and our karmic uh, gifts in a way that, that we learn and we, we have a, begin to feel a sense of, of gratitude, of gratitude and uh, joy in our lives through this deeper and more profound contemplation understanding of the Dhamma. So this afternoon I'll end my talk, this reflection for you, contemplating this to, to, uh, for you to encourage you uh, in your own lives to keep with your practice, to develop the uh, practice of meditation to to establish yourselves in the sila, uh, the, the pancha sila, so that this is your 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 modus operandi. This is this is where you uh, this is your your foundation for living in the world, living with your family, living with the society. I want to offer this for your reflection. Andamayango atakatasa to Kalantatamasi Sadu Sadu Sadu